Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And thank you very much for joining me in another episode of the Athletes Welfare Podcast. Today, I am joined by David Sharkey. Throughout this conversation, myself and Sharkey discuss connection, collaboration and cohesion, masculinity and gender dynamics, teaching versus coaching and redrafting, theming and storytelling, and truly discovering a story that you belong to, implementing this and theming and understanding why and how to use it. I hope you all love this conversation as much as I did. Sharky, welcome to the Athlete Welfare Community, mate. Before we delve into this discussion, however, here is a little bit more about myself and my podcast. This is the Athletes Welfare Podcast with myself, Finn Kelly, where you can listen to insightful, inspirational, emotional, passionate and life-changing conversations with professional sports and fitness practitioners from all over the world. I knew from a young age that I would mature into a person that would thrive upon the development, support and guidance of others. For me, I now know what my calling is, and that is to develop welfare worldwide. Well-being is a massive part of my life, as I'm sure you can all tell by now, and it is even more of a percentage with this podcast. I love doing it. Everything about it is incredible and fascinating. Looking back now, I actually asked myself when I began this journey, I'm having welfare conversations anyway, so why should I keep great conversations to myself? For me, everyone can benefit, and we can all learn together. These conversations aren't about gaining listeners, getting rates and reviews or earning money. This whole process is simply about making everyone aware of the importance of welfare within sport, but also in life. Your generosity with leaving rates, reviews, subscribing or downloading will simply help my podcast reach more people like yourselves. That is success to me. Although this is called the Athletes Welfare Podcast, my regular listeners will recognise that a lot of the fundamentals within these conversations resonate traits, values, advice and experiences from across life in general, not just in sport. What I'm trying to say is that you don't need to be an athlete or even interested in sport to gain a heap of take-homes from these conversations. Look, I'm simply a 21-year-old recording over Zoom in my bedroom. So when I say this, you better believe me. Genuinely, without the support of others, I simply wouldn't be able to do this podcast. I thank my mum and everyone else at home for tiptoeing around the house every hour on a recording day, running to the door before the posting knocks or preempting when the phone might ring, to even booking our dog into doggy daycare. I thank organisations such as Blokes, Tenzing, Mission, all of my conversations, the Open University, Sales Sharks, Rugby Club, all of these conversations and pre-conversations post the beginning of my podcast have supported me and guided me to where I am today. I appreciate all of your time taken to listen to these episodes. It means the absolute world to me. All I have left is to ask one thing. Please, please, please simply take five seconds right now to rate, review, download, subscribe or share this podcast so that I can really make a difference in this world by reaching many more listeners like yourself. Now, enough of me talking. Let's delve into today's episode. Sharky, we're finally here, mate. How are you? Very well, very well. Thanks for having me on. No, you're more than welcome. I'm really looking forward to this. Like, We've got a load of different things that we're going to talk about and we'll delve into a load of different techniques within coaching but and then ultimately like how we develop welfare as well. But just as I do with everybody, Sharky, just give yourself a little bit of an introduction, like who you are from your perspective ultimately. 
Um, so uh, I warned you about this already. I'm going to flip it on you. Uh, what? Why did? Um, <laughs> Go for it. I mate. suppose. What, what was it, Finn, I suppose, about, and, and this is something, just having been on, uh, you know, one or two podcasts before, I, I kind of sometimes leave wondering why they wanted me on and whether I fulfilled what it was they wanted. So uh, to you, before I jump into myself, like, what do you think we're going to get from this? What, what, why me? There's lots of people, and, and I've looked at your catalog and I've listened to quite a few. You've got loads of cool people that you've you've had in your podcast. Like, what do you think we'll, we'll get into or or why have me in your podcast yeah no it's like first up you're a cool person as well sharky so don't like <laughs> count yourself out on that but i think the the thing for me was like ultimately obviously you're known for your theming you're known for your architectural stuff and like before i got into sports coaching it goes way back the thing that i wanted to get into was architecture like i was massively into sketching i was massively into graphic design and i just love how like it's team architecture and then that fits in with everything that we're about as coaches ultimately so when we talk about connection collaboration and cohesion and then we fit that in with with theming like i like that a lot and obviously you're an english teacher by trade um i did english a level and i did english language and the bit that i absolutely loved about that was stories and storytelling and then that fits in as well with with things i'm sure we'll talk about so i guess the big thing for me ultimately was i wanted to have a conversation that was away from the stuff that we used to talk about with athlete welfare, where we talk about mental health and and financial health, physical health, injuries, abuse within sport. Like that's really, really important to talk about. But I think we also need to tackle how we coach to be able to secure welfare within an environment. And I think the conversation that we can have based on your experiences and, and your approach is going to be pretty different to a lot of other ones. That's cool. That's cool. I'm so sorry. Like, your guests are going to hear that I'm a teacher, but they probably guessed already that I was able to flip that uh, <laughs> right around. And it's definitely one of my tactics in uh, in teaching when I don't really know what I've been asked or don't know the answer. I'll go, that's interesting. What do we think as a class? Or, you know, let's research that for homework. But anyway, to, to your question, Finn, uh, and thanks a million for having me on. I'm glad we could we could finally get around to it. Uh, my name is, uh, is David Sharkey. Um, I am a, a teacher of English uh, and I've been over in the UK for about 13 years now, originally from Ireland, which I'm told that my accent is uh, is dwindling uh, every every six <laughs> months or so. But when I go home, I can usually top it up. So I'm looking forward to getting back for Christmas, which which should be good. But I've been teaching and coaching rugby over here for the last, as I said, uh, 13 years or so. And uh, I absolutely love both. Um, and more recently, I suppose, the last couple of years, I've been seeing the real kind of connection between both teaching and coaching, you mentioned some of the stuff I've worked on in terms of storytelling. As an English teacher, I just think those connect really, really well. And I think um, they're definitely skills that I've had from teaching English and looking at stories in different ways and characters and how how we can maybe view the same story in lots of different ways as a, as a class or as different readers. I think that's really, really important. Um, and that's definitely something that I think we can bring into storytelling and the use of theming and coaching. You mentioned again, uh, Team Architecture, which is the, the, the company I've set up more recently from some of the work I've done, both in coaching, mentoring, uh, and designing, uh, writing, I suppose, uh, themes and stories for, for, for other groups. Um, so working you know, from the professional level down to the grassroots level with other coaches in that regard, all centered around the idea of um, how teams interact, how we connect, how we collaborate, uh, how cohesive are we? Uh, those things are are vital. And I think looking at those dynamics, and that's something I know we'll come on to, 
will help. I actually think that's probably the purpose in and of itself, but I think it can help you perform both on and off the pitch. So those are, yeah, that's the sort of space I'm in. So a, a teacher who's uh, who set up a business on the side uh, is, I suppose, the best way to, to capture me, maybe. And that's why you're cool, Sharky, mate. That's why. That's why That's why you're on it. Ultimately, you've just answered your own question there. But I'm really <laughs> interested, really quickly, before we delve into the questions that I ask everybody. Like you mentioned there, you've got some crossovers between teaching and coaching. They work quite well together. Like, What are the main crossovers between teaching and coaching? And, and are there any, like, ones that you try and avoid as much as possible that you keep within teaching or you keep just within coaching? So I spent a lot of time, a lot of time not really seeing the connection between teaching and coaching. And I was doing, I was literally going from sometimes with the same kids going from the classroom to the the rugby pitch and not really seeing the sort of links there. And then I think I spent a lot of time thinking they were the same. They were exactly the same. And then I think I came to another realization where I, I actually see the distinct differences between them and then the similarities that can cross over. But I think I'm still on that journey. I'm still exploring that. So I think I think it's important to see, and it took me a while to realize this within my own teaching, just how long learning can take. I, I came into I came into uh, to study as an English teacher at a time in education in the UK where with the use of, uh, you know, inspections where you were meant to demonstrate learning very quickly. You were meant to be able to show that in a very, very tight window, sometimes a 20 minute window. And there was lots of pressures to do that and to evidence that. And so I think with that pressure came the idea that learning is something I should be able to do very quickly with lots of people. And we should be able to see that progress very, very quickly. And actually, I think that's, I think if you can do that, geez, you're one hell of a teacher. But I actually think I started to realize just how long these things, these things can take. And actually, you got to go back to them and back to them and back to them. And the same thing is true of, of coaching, I think. Like, how many times have we sat there, you know, at halftime going, come on, we we looked at this, we, we did this last week, or we, we just talked about this. Well, that's on you. Like, that's on you as a coach. You're either expecting way too much from the group or you're, maybe you're expecting too much from yourself. So I think taking that kind of long view of coaching that actually the stuff we start doing now mightn't really start to take hold for a couple of months or even a couple of years. So looks like maybe looking at it across, like almost like a curriculum in terms of coaching, like what are we going to start here that actually in four years, like we start tackling, you know, with under 10s or under 11s or whatever it might be then what will that look like at under 16? Like we might, we might really work on it really, really hard early on, but actually they might only get it to the end of the season. And there's going to be a lot of, you know, heads in the wrong place. And there's going to be a lot of, you know, sore shoulders and maybe um, tears and whatnot in the way to get there. But at the end of it, you might go, geez, that, you know, that, that kid can really tackle now. But, you know, you were pulling, well, not that I have any hair, but you were pulling whatever hair you'd left out, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, out sort of, you know, worrying about how they were doing. So I think that's sort of the, the kind of long view of of how things are learned and how how, how groups and individuals pick up skills in, in, in the rugby pitch, but also in, in teaching, like, you know, in English, drafting, redrafting. And sometimes I remember like, sometimes those, those kind of uh, light bulb moments are really exciting in the classroom where someone finally goes, 
oh, that's why we're doing this now. That's that, that's great and you're delighted, but also you sort of hold back on, oh God, maybe I didn't explain that sooner, quick enough. But as I said, listen, these things take time and uh, I think we need to be persistent, uh, both as teachers and coaches. So that's definitely a crossover. So is it fair to say, like you made the comparison there between coaching in the long run and, and your curriculum, like we need to be coaching in the long run, don't we? We need to be looking at the bigger picture, not just like, a game that's coming up in a fortnight's time we need to be looking way past that and I guess that fits in quite significantly with with the theming that you do and, and the storytelling like creating a story yeah so a lot of a lot of the work I, I've done on theming of late you do you look at the, the, the story in its fullest and I think a lot of people who come to me and ask about themes are they, I think they see it very short term. They see it as very shallow. So they go, they look at the Crusaders uh, with Scott Robertson. And, and for example, the one they used a few years ago, the Rumble in the Jungle. And they look at that and go, cool. So you tell that story and then you win a Super Rugby Championship. <laughs> and, and there's a sort of simplification of it. But for me, when I hear that, I, I wonder, I, I'm really fascinated and as much as the Crusaders have spoken about some of the stuff they've done, I'd be I'd love to know some of the stuff they haven't done. Sorry, not haven't yeah. done, but haven't said. So what are they not telling us that they did? Because for me, I think if you look at the story of Muhammad Ali and you don't look at, you don't use that opportunity to look at him as a person and how maybe he stood up for what he believed in and how difficult that is and how that might feel. So how you could link that to, I don't know, it's like social media and cancel culture or uh being being like people again like doxing online or whatever it might be like you could definitely link some of the stories of his just beyond the physical prowess or his his skills so for me when i see themes i, I see the opportunity to go to go deep with them so you could talk about his opposition to uh to being drafted in the vietnam war you could look at his um you know his views on religion and i just think you've got a huge opportunity there but people tend to see it as on this surface level of, um, you know, he fought George Foreman. Uh, he would like, it was sort of, you know, uh, soak up a few hits and then kind of stay in the fight. I just think that will only go so far. And I think if you think enough about a story and the, the term I often use is find a story you belong to, like that you and your group that really resonates and go like, go as deep as you want with it. You can use it in the short term, but if you're if you're telling me that the Crusaders just used, you know, that shallow version for a 12 or 15 week or 16 week super rugby run, then I I, I think, geez, they're getting a lot out of that. I, I think they probably went deeper. And that's certainly something that I like to do both of the themes I implement myself with groups I work with, but it's also something I advocate. And this is difficult to do uh, when you're working with someone else is to get them to see the potential to branch out beyond the, the win loss, um, you know, development as players. Like obviously that's a huge, huge important aspect of what we do, but there's a real opportunity to develop character and to challenge people in a way that, they haven't been challenged before, and you can do that in a unique story if you find the story that you belong to. So how how so? I've got two parts to this question. Like you just said there, that and it's clear that theming has a deeper meaning than than what it might mean to someone else, to you ultimately. And like listening and following yourself, then obviously I've then got that 
nowhere near to the extent of what you've got, but I've got that deeper understanding of theming to, to what other people have. So, mm-hmm. and then you, you talk about finding the story that you belong to, which suggests that it's, it's individual to, to each culture, it's individual to each person. You've got to find something that they can relate to and they, they see that deeper meaning in. So like for me, straight up, why theming? Why is it theming that gives this deeper understanding and that has this capability to develop connections, develop ca- characteristics and cohesion? So as part of my work with team architecture, I, I, I set up a, a webinar um, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the first questions I asked was, or I put to the group was, what, if theming is the answer, what's your question? Like, what do you think theming is going to do? And because, and the reason I, I, I asked that to the group was that I think a lot of people think it's because we want to get promoted, because we want to... We want to win something or we want to beat them. And, and, and I don't mean to dismiss those, but I just think you can go bigger with that. So the reason I kind of wanted them to do that was because I ultimately wanted to show them where I'd come from with it. So before I started theming, I was doing work, which I now call character coaching. I didn't really call it that at the time, which looked at this idea of redefining masculinity. And the idea was to def- was to challenge maybe some of the aspects of, uh, of male stereotypes and the, the stereotypes within sport and particularly maybe within rugby. So it was to look at mental well-being, um, emotion, sorry, um, mental health, emotional well-being and gender dynamics in sport. So that, that was something I was using with the schoolboy rugby team. And we would have conversations where we would use presentations about mental health or emotional well-being. We use female role models uh, from rugby and from other sports. And we had a we had the, the, the incredible um, Dr. Anna Stodder, who's the coach of the Cambridge Uni um, women's team, in, and she coached. And it was great for the boys to see both myself and my other um, and my other coach, Andy Dix, see Anna, like let Anna run a session and for us to learn from her and for them to learn from her. So to put women in, in, in positions, again, that they're more than capable of doing, uh, it wasn't like a tokenistic thing, but it was more a sense of, Let's give these young men who don't necessarily have lots of female role models. Sorry, that's not true. They do have female role models, but maybe we don't highlight them enough. So instead of talking about Mara Toje, uh, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, other leading figures in the game. So we use Charlotte Kaslick in the sevens game. We use Portia Woodman, um, you know, uh, there was Heather Fisher again that we delved into. So there was no reason why both as a coach in, in, in Anna's case, but also as as uh, pro athletes in the, in the sevens game or in the fifteens game, that we couldn't just maybe highlight them and talk about certain technical or tactical things that we would anyway. If we looked at Exeter against London Irish, we could say, oh, look at this, look what they're doing here. Or if we were working on, you know, principle of play and it was about going forward, you might show a clip from Exeter uh, and London Irish and then look at a Wasps Quinn's women's game and go, okay, well, how are they going forward? And that's sort of tied together where we looked at the, we went to the varsity match then at the end of the year. Um, and we insisted on, set, I, I said to the, my, my head teacher at the time, I said, listen, we're only going to go if we can go for the women's game as well, which is beforehand. Now that'll mean us missing more school, um, which he was like, okay. But once we sort of linked the, the varsity, obviously to Anna, uh, who, who'd been coaching them, he was fully on board. So that I came from that space to theming because I actually thought theming was a better way to do that. So it, it is weird how now I, I, I've been sort of um, 
hired um, and I have clients again in the professional game who are using it to perform. But actually, I'm actually at the other end of the scale trying to convince them that this can help you perform. But actually, geez, you can really have some lasting memories and some cool experiences and really delve into who they are. And lots of people talk about, you know, they're not they're not players, they're people. But, you know, you need to, well, you need to address that. Like, and, and this is a way, I think, to do that. I think, anyway. I think it's big, like you just mentioned now, we, everybody says the right thing, don't they? Like Everybody knows that we need to treat people as people and then athletes. But whether that actually gets put into practice is a different thing. And I think, like, obviously, we were talking about Rusty and Fletcher, like speaking on the Magic Academy, and you spoke about in your first episode with them, like the masculinity within sport and confronting mm. like gender equality and, and actually kind of putting in place different role models and, and inspirations, ultimately, of, of people, not just in the men's game, but also within the women's game, because that's really important. Just talk to me about like your motivations behind confronting this masculinity, specifically within rugby, like why that and what impact did it have when it comes to well-being, welfare, and and I mean, and that continuation into theming. It, it all came about because I was at the Wellington Festival, it would have been 2018, maybe. Yeah. Maybe 2019, I can't remember. Where Pete Short used to play for used to play for Bath was was on stage and Rusty was leading it and, and Eddie Jones was there actually as well. Um and Dr. Dr. Uh, Suze Brown, uh, Dr. Zan Brown, who's uh, a counselor and a psychologist, whose who's work actually I've, I've, I've really learned an awful lot. I think Ed Hall was there as well, who's a sociologist. And they, they were having a really interesting conversation about the dynamics of, of professionalism and, and what it's like to be a player in those environments. And I think it was Pete Short who described the environments that these young boys who were 16, now he, sorry, he was talking to the coaches, not, not, not the boys. And he was talking about the environment that they were going into was going to be a, an awful lot of bottle up your feelings, uh, get as many notches on the bedpost as possible and drink as much as you can. And, and that, that to me described an awful lot of the rugby environments that I had been a part of, uh, you know, in, in, in various, um, in various kind of levels. And I just kind of stopped and went, we'd spent the last couple of days trying to learn the best sort of games or, or drills or, or kind of little tweaks in terms of our coaching to make sure we were, you know, at the cutting edge in that regard. And I just kind of thought, what's the point if we're sending young men into these environments that like the, the idea was that if they walk in, if, if I'm coaching players at 15, 16, they walk into the same sort of dressing room I was in 20 years ago, what's the point? And that's not to say there weren't good things about the dressing room I was in 20 years ago, but w- w- why, can't, why can't it be better or different? Why can't it be more open and kinder and more empathetic, I suppose, is what I was trying to do. Why can't it be an environment by which if someone makes a fairly crass comment about either women's rugby or, or women maybe, uh, that someone can't be called out for that. I suppose that's what I was trying to do. Um, so that's where that came from. I love that. What? But So I'm, I'm quite significantly involved in the women's and the girls' game, like county stuff and, and going up to international stuff. But why why the women's game? What what was it to you? What was that connection that, that made you realise that actually – like for me, it's all about the equality and how everybody deserves like a fair shot at absolutely everything. But why, to you, do you feel that younger people deserve to to kind of recognise at the top of the game? 
you know. Sorry, sorry. Are you, are you, are you there? Apologies. Sorry, I missed that entire question, um, but I can That's try and answer it if you want. <laughs> I'll give it another go. <laughs> so I was just going to say, like, we've so we've got like we got the women's game. I'm quite significantly involved yeah. in that, and it, and it touches it touches home. Like when when obviously you you see it all over social media, don't you? Where people don't look at the the equal side of things, they don't give it the fair shot. And I'm just interested why you think it's important for young males, specifically the ones that you're working with, to look up to the female game as well as the male game like why is that important to you i just think it's a i think it's an easy way to to um i suppose it's an easy way for young men to value women in a different way than maybe they're used to or or what their peers are maybe talking about so um you know, at, at that age, the sort of the, their own explorations in terms of their own sexual like expression and identity and sexualization, uh, I suppose, uh, is something again they're considering. So, for me, it was an easy one. Like we regularly will reference male role models in rugby. Like, did anyone see the jackal that um, that whoever put in the weekend? I'm just trying to think. I'm literally trying to think of uh, someone there who might uh, be, be a good jackal. <laughs> Uh, literally nothing coming into my head. Um, right, but, <laughs> so with that, uh, with that in mind, I suppose you could, you know, what, why couldn't you maybe uh, turn that on its head and, 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 and talk about, you know, a female uh, role model? That, that For me, I just thought it was an easy way to kind of do that. Now, why is that important? Because I think it's important for young men to, to see women in, in those kinds of spaces. Now, you know, in the women's game, and what's particularly exciting now about the women's game is actually the, the sort of attention and the, um, the I suppose, the investment. And I don't just mean in terms of financially, but I mean in terms of people's time and people's energies and, and people's awareness of actually the real quality that's there. Um, I was on my way to the, uh, the Heineken Cup final last, last, um, last May when uh, La Rochelle were playing um, La Rochelle playing uh, Toulouse. And as I was walking along, I saw uh, Kate Adler, who's the captain of, of, of Wasps Ladies. And they were walking along. And I actually, just from following them on social media, I remember seeing that they were playing Quinns later that day. I think it might have been the semi, which Quinns obviously went on to win then uh, the, the semi and then ultimately the final. But I remember actually seeing them. And as I was just going past, I suddenly just went, and they they were kind of dressed in kid or whatnot. So I just I quickly kind of looked across and said, oh, listen, best look against Quinns this afternoon. They sort of like, it, it was just, I think, different in the sense of that. that that's not something I would have been able to do a few years ago because I hadn't maybe been looking and learning enough in that space. But it was kind of cool to be able for them, well, one for me to acknowledge it and for them to sort of see that, that, you know, there were people, again, they were getting exposure. And uh, it's exciting to see, again, I, I read today that the big double header at um, uh, I think it's Wasps and Quinns, actually, ladies will be shown on BT Sport uh, over Christmas uh, at Twickenham. So for me, listen, I just think it's a it's an easy way for, for, for boys, I suppose, to align with, see themselves as, you know, connecting with other people. You know, you're both playing rugby. You know, these are people you could aspire to be like, um, you know, they're women. You know, why... Why, why can't we celebrate that and I suppose you know enjoy the rugby that they're playing and also learn from them um, and, and, and take again things maybe that they're doing quite well and, and apply to the men's game and vice versa I think there's like just from being involved in it like I've learned an awful lot from being in the women's game and then transferring across to your junior game at academy and stuff like that like there's loads of different things that 
you can that are transferable between the both and and that's just from a coach's perspective so i'm sure like being a, a younger player looking up to to men's and women's game at the top then and actually that's going to be pretty inspirational is that something that like you're really trying to push so you mentioned their connection between kind of your males and your females and obviously we've got a load of stuff in the news at the moment where we've got like men spiking in clubs and and maybe even women spiking in clubs like different things but i think we can use a lot like sports so powerful in everything like is it something that maybe we're trying to bring in we're trying to hone in that actually this is how we should be treating people we should be looking up to them respecting them kind of empathizing with them a little bit and then using their characteristics to better develop ours I'm very lucky in the fact that I coach uh, I coach the the HAC the Honorable Artillery Company uh, with Reese Davies and Reese uh, was with London Irish and, and he's back now with the RFU and we we have a, a coach who's come in uh, this year Charlotte uh, Fredrickson so she's she's in she's in the Navy she played for Saris uh, Women's she she played for uh, for the Navy and she's an incredibly accomplished uh, player uh, and and now coach and she's come in and, and she's worked with us and I can't. I can't tell you how many times we've shown up to grounds and she's been directed towards the physio's room. And I know that's a kind of cliche and I know that, but it's actually kind of bizarre to hear that it, it sort of still happens. Um, and the people will regularly kind of make, make those mistakes. Now, cool. People will make those mistakes. That's going to happen. Um, <laughs> if you make that mistake and get called out, be expected to be called out. I would yeah, say, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's 2021 and, uh, you know, w- women can, um, Women can coach a men's team, uh, and they yeah. don't necessarily have to be uh, a physio or a medic or whatnot. Um, and the other thing is that, like, so um, uh, not that you necessarily believe, it, but when I played rugby, I played centre. Now I played centre like as I looked like a second row. And uh, when I joined <laughs> the club, when I joined the club, all the lads kind of said, "Oh, brilliant! Finally, we, we have a we finally we have a forwards coach." And it took me four weeks to finally tell them, lads, I actually played centre. So I was sort of nodding a lot at some of the, the scrummaging and the. The line out stuff they were doing, pretending I knew what I was talking about. But Charlotte's come in, and she's she's changed our whole our kind of uh, our our, uh, our ability to scrum. We had a few lads remarking, going, "Geez, I haven't seen the, I haven't seen our team go forward in a scrum for a couple of years now." And our, our, how our line out and our mall uh, defenses work. Like she's she's changed all of that, and I think that's something the lads have really have really responded well to. Uh, and 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 I know Reese and I have loved kind of having her. You know, learning from her and and seeing again what what she brings because I think just just think that diversity and it's something I'd be interested to find out from you is that like what you learn from other female coaches that you've worked with or you know what do you learn from coaching women and and again like the, the working in the women's game is something I'd love to I'd love to do more of um, because I haven't you know I, I I've coached Anna Anna very kindly a few years ago let me. Uh, let me help her out at, at Cambridge Uni Women's Session a few years ago, and it's something I'd love to do again and with other women's teams. But I'm wondering, what have you learned from from working in the women's game, both from female co- from uh, you know other coaches who are women, and um, you know the coaching of women? So I've like to be honest, to be to be straight up honest with you, like I've not worked with a lot of female coaches, but the ones that I have learned from, I've learned a significant amount from. And it's not necessarily like the tech and the tack sort of stuff. It's it's the characteristics, it's the relationships, it's the connections, it's the it's the deeper stuff that I've learned a lot more from. Um, and that's definitely something that's become more apparent having coached the women's game from under 13s up to women's. Um, mm. 
a complete variation of levels. Like it's made me a better coach because one, like when people ask me this question, my immediate answer is when I coach something, everybody wants to know why they want to know Mm -hmm. what the reason is. And one that's made me a real good coach with regards to understanding why I want somebody to do it rather than just going, okay, right, this is what we're going to do. Go and do it. They want to know why. So I'll give them a little bit of an explanation with that. And and then that gives them the deeper, deeper understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. Mm. Um, But also I've learned the respect side of things like a lot of females. And I don't know whether that's the inequality within sport, whether that's almost competitions within clubs between the, the women's and girls sections, the boys and men's sections of, of the women trying to get to an equal kind of respectable basis, I guess. But everybody's grateful for you as a coach within the women's and girls section. And and for me, like, it's not, like I just said there, it's not about tech and tack. It's not about what they're doing on the pitch. Like, that's great if they can get that done. But for me, it's about, it's about coaching them to a point where, one, they don't need me to coach them anymore because they, they've got all of those fundamentals, those values, mm-hmm. and got the belief within themselves. They've got the, the cohesion, the dynamics to be able to do what they, they need to do and want to do mm-hmm. at whatever time. But they're grateful for any bit of advice. They're grateful for that 30-second chat before the game. They're grateful mm. for the 30-second chat before or after. There's please, there's thank you. There's all of those little things that makes a big difference for me. And having worked yeah, yeah. within that, I realised the importance of, of manners and relationships and connections within sport as a whole and the power of sport in general. I think it's, it's something I noticed when I, when I coached, uh, helped Anna in that session in Cambridge. This was after the varsity. So the weird thing is that the varsity is kind of the pinnacle of their season. It's sort of in the middle of their season. And then they go yeah. on, they still play in the new year so that they would have played the varsity in December and we would have gone to see them. And then in January, or late January, uh, we would have been, I would have been coaching the session. And this this player came up to me and she was, the, she was asking me a question about kind of, her kind of rucking technique and she really wanted to know and kind of dig into it and and then when we got past that she was talking about tack, her tackle technique was sort of off and she was wary she was putting her head and, and where she was landing and she just she wanted to know everything and then it was halfway through that conversation I realised that she was the player of the match and I'd seen her smash players into t- <laughs> I had seen her I was like <laughs> you don't need to worry about your tackle technique like like uh, there's it's cool that you kind of want to get better and you want to improve and you want to refine that. But I was like, and it just made me think of, she was just very, she was very humble uh, to kind of yeah. come forward with that. And I think, and that's not to say that, that uh, men or boys that I've coached aren't humble. I just think it's, uh, depending on the environment, they're less willing to be seen as humble because of maybe, maybe it's that macho environment that I suppose I was trying to tackle uh, with the, the under six, the under fifteen um, lads, uh, schoolboy lads, I did a few years ago. But yeah, it was just it was just cool to see that kind of openness and that desire to improve. But also in front of her peers, in front of others, she was going to say, like, "I really need to work my tack." Like tack, she just wasn't that as as assured. And I was like, "Geez, I've played, I've coached a lot of lads, and played with and been a player possibly who was too assured of stuff I was doing yeah, yeah. or uh, what they were doing." Um, so that that was a that was a nice change, I suppose. It was good to see. I think, yeah, definitely pick, just picking up on that, like the 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 honesty and like the empathy, the humility that goes into these environments is definitely something that stood out for me. Like they're quite happy to share how they're feeling. They're quite happy to to talk about thoughts and feelings like whenever necessary. And 
from a coach perspective, that helps an awful lot. And it's definitely kind of shaped a bit of a, I don't want to say philosophy, but like a bit of an approach when I go into, like you say, an academy and work with some of the boys. I take a lot of traits that I've learned from the women's game and apply that into there. Just yeah. little things like fist bump and, and eye contact and holding the door open and saying thank yeah. you and just trying to talk to each individual for 30 seconds a session just to mm. give them a little bit more of a connection. And that's just something I've learned from the women's game. And, and it's, I guess it comes back to you ultimately working with your lads at school and getting them to look up and, and role model the women's game mm. as well as the men's game. It's actually... I guess upon reflection, like I'm doing that in a little bit of a different way. I'm just taking my learnings from the women game and, and putting it into the lads game and and they're better yeah. for it. I think it's just I think it's just highlighting these things, isn't it? Like mm. we didn't when I was showing different clips um of like of a tactical issue or a technical issue in the game or what they were seeing that we were working on. We didn't kind of show a men's clip and then go, and now for the women's game. We didn't yeah. do that. We just put them side by side. And just looked at it as as rugby. Now, I know I, I know the games are quite different in many cases, but I think it was interesting to see that there's lots of things that are similar. And how might you solve them, or how are they solving this? And it was a conversation I was having recently um, after a HAC match, where um, it was we were playing Hackney, and the Hackney women's team were watching uh, the Hackney men's, and we were chatting to a few of them afterwards. And I was sort of I was talking to a, an Australian. Um, an Australian uh, woman who was who was playing in the team, and and I asked her what position she played. She said scrum half and second row, and I was just like, "That's one of the <laughs> awesome things about the women's game is that I could like I I've been coaching for almost twenty years, and and I don't think I'd find that combination in the men's game. Like, no. but it's so cool how there's that flexibility and that willingness and that openness to it, and I think that's why it would be. I mean, it must be fairly exciting for you to work in a space where there's that appliability or adaptability with players to give like yeah i'll give that a go or you know i'll try that whereas you know there are some guys and i like i absolutely get this where you'll go cool like you play tight hike you play loose and they're like nah no nah, i couldn't play loose and there's lots of reasons why that's the case <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you know it was it was cool to chat to someone who played scrum half and second row like <laughs> how and flexible what... and cool it would be to set up your team like that where you could go cool our center is now going uh is going tight head and our prop is going on the win it would be cool to be able to do that like and i know people might say geez that's a far-fetched sort of idea but geez it'd be it'd be fun to try wouldn't it hey everyone i'm sorry to interrupt this incredibly passionate insightful and educational conversation but i just want to show you how to become part of this movement and join the Athletes Welfare Pod community. Supported by Blokes and the Ted Senior Foundation, the Athletes Welfare Podcast needs you. Yes, you, right now, without hesitation. There are two things that I desperately need you to do as I'm speaking. For me to know how many people are appreciating these conversations, I would love it if you could all share with me a screenshot or photo of how you are listening to this podcast and tagging us on social media at the Athlete Welfare Podcast, or even myself at Finn Kelly. Secondly, it would be phenomenal if you could all take five seconds right now, I mean only five seconds, to rate and review this podcast so that I can begin my long-awaited climb on the suggested podcast lists. Now, enough of me rambling on again. I'll let my generous guests get back to talking, as I know it is them you're listening to, not me. Enjoy this conversation. Yeah, exactly. But then that comes back to, I don't know, could, could we link that to how you how you create that 
that story, I guess. Like one thing that I'm trying to do with the women's team that I'm at, at the moment is we're is we're starting this journey of what our story is, who we are, what who are we as characters, like and what what's success to us ultimately. Mm. Like, how do we define that? Because I could go and tell you, like, right, go on beating this season, that's success. But they might not think that. They might actually just think, okay, well, we might lose two games, but we want to win every away game. That might be success. Or I make yeah. every every tackle. Like, so they're defining that for themselves. Mm. But also, one big thing is is like my rule is you give all you possibly can whenever we need it, and I'll give yeah. everything that I can. And that means like our scrum half will go out onto the wing, our scrum half will go back row if necessary, or our hooker will go into centre if necessary. And that's what I love about the game because. Yeah. They are willing to do anything for the mutual kind of agreement and culture that we've determined. And I think that yeah. kind of just just fits into the into the connection and cohesion of, of team architecture that you've set up. Just talk to me about ultimately how like theming results in cohesion increasing. So those like people that are listening potentially they've heard theming, but they don't really know like how you approach this theming because mm. obviously people have got different perceptions of what theming is but how does yours ultimately result in cohesion and, and fit in with a lot of stuff we just chatted about i think um and this is where i suppose what i mean about the depth of the story or the theme that you want to choose so as i said uh, if i wanted to and the lions use this in the summer would they use the muhammad ali uh, rope-a-dope george foreman rumble in the jungle theme for the first test i think now, that was around the idea of let's wear the spring box out. Now, that's fine in a, in a specific point that you could use a theme for, for a match and say, our story, what we're trying to do is like this. And there's a technical and tactical reason for it. If you want to look longer term, so if the Lions were to maybe look at that across, if their theme for the whole season was Muhammad Ali, sorry, for their, for their whole tour was Muhammad Ali, and that would be an, ex- an exciting sort of uh, task to have. Like, what, what theme would you give a group that's coming together that has to perform, that has this three test series, that like all those things, what would you, what would you do? But for me, you're trying to create, an, I, I think it's an opportunity to create an experience. And if it's just to be a technical and tactical thing and you win the game, that might be your experience. And I, I don't want to diminish the idea of winning and, and being successful as, as experiences. There, 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 there's merit in those. There's, there, there's good reason to pursue those. But the... I think if you could design a story well enough, you can draw out aspects of the story to reinforce what it is you want to do. So you mentioned there about the group you're working with, where it's like, find like whatever we need, whatever's needed, we step up. Like that's the kind of a concept that you're like as a coach, yeah. as a player. So if we need you to play this or we need you to do that, then we expect you to step up. So that reminds me of the, the Shackleton theme I did with the HAC, where we were trying to, the, the idea was that we were trying to escape uh, relegation so this was the season where COVID hit so uh, 2019 into 2020 and there was an image in that there's an image of um, of the Shackleton uh, and for those people who don't know Ernest Shackleton the endurance expedition where you know 28 men were trapped in the ice trying to cross the Antarctic and their ship sank they survived in the ice for about 10 months and managed to kind of escape eventually uh, and to get rescued and it was Ernest Shackleton who was the, the leader of that who kept them alive but on the ship Endurance, uh, before they got caught in the ice, there's a great uh, picture of three men scrubbing the decks. And if you looked at the image, if you were flicking through the picture book, which I have, 
you kind of go like, oh, cool, that's, you know, lad scrubbing the decks. But when you look at the caption, it's a, it's a marine biologist, it's a surgeon, and it's um, the other guy, Orderlies, was the, he was in charge of like, like logistics, like the, um, mm. the supplies. So in many cases, their role was not to scrub the decks. In fact, in the, dramat- in the, in the Kenneth Branagh uh, dramatization, he comes in and says, right, this place better get cleaned up. And they stood up to go like, cool, do you want us to leave? And they went, no, I want you to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they were like, is he joking? Awesome. Like, this is not our job. There's, there are lads on the ship at, whose job is like the sailors. It's their job to do this. And he was like, yeah. no, 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 you'll do it. Like, because it needs to be done. So I think if you can find bits of the story that resonate like that, you're giving them an experience. So I remember telling that story and, and the, the caption that day was, you know, like do your job like what's your job what's needed from you like step up there are other examples from the uh, project apollo uh, one with michael collins you know the third man of apollo yeah. we got to capture what that meant so by by talking about certain characters or individuals in that story we were able to capture you know a selflessness um a behind the scenes kind of work uh, a sort of unsung hero and we were able to capture Michael Collins. So that it became that. Or, you know, with um, we're doing the Ayrton Senna theme with the HAC, and there's certain characteristics in, in his character we we would highlight, but also say, like, geez, he was he was a bit too aggressive here in this, and that cost them. Like, is that something we want to avoid? So it's not like you're trying to always idolize the people that you're you explore that their character in the fullest sense. And I think by doing that, like you can create those moments of cohesion. And those connections. So another one in the Shackleton one that lads in the, in the HAC often w- will refer to was the day we beat we beat a, a relegation rival in the storm uh, in a four-try bonus point. And it was uh, our vice captain, Larry, uh, it was his birthday. So we got him a bottle of Shackleton whiskey. So we drank the, the bottle afterwards. You know, everyone's soaking wet, freezing, mud covered uh, in pieces. And then we found out it was Shackleton's birthday the same day. And it was a bit weird and surreal. So <laughs> what I want ultimately when, when I'm designing themes, and sorry, this is a really long way to sort of capture is that if I'm going to go into a theme, I want in 15, 20 years time, when those lads hear about Ernest Shackleton, they think about that experience in that dressing room, or they think about the do your job or with the, with the HSC now with Senna, like, and this still happens, like lads will send me stuff about, oh, Senna do this or Senna that, or someone was talking about Senna and it reminded us of us. I think you're trying to create that cohesion. And, you know, a, a professional team I, I worked with I worked with last year uh, in a different language, you know, one of the coaches said to me of one of the stories that we had, we had worked on, he's like, I knew nothing about that. And then when this came up later, it just reminded me. And you're just trying to, I think you're trying to do that. You're trying to find those, those moments of connection outside of it that remind you of who we are and what we did. I think if you can do that, I think you're onto a winner. No, I love that. Like just before we start delving into some of the questions, like I'm, I know that I didn't ask you two questions at the beginning because we we got fully underway. Like I didn't want to interrupt you at <laughs> it's all. It's all right. I flipped it on you. <laughs> no, that's all right. That's good. I like it. But just kind of describe to me what this process looks like because from my perspective, I've done a lot of reading into it and I follow what you do. So I kind of. I reckon I've got to grips with a little bit with the process that you take, but like, do you come up with the story and then make your team fit that story? Or do you start talking to the team, find out what the team are, who they are, get a deeper understanding of them and then match it to, to your knowledge as interested in films or, or 
what do you do your research like what's the first step and then kind of what's the history that occurs after that yeah a friend of mine asked me he was like do you like have a, a whole like do you have these stories on the shelf that you're like see that's what i was just walking and go like do you just walk in now i can't that, that's both true and not true it's true in the sense that i'm <laughs> irish and an english teacher so i have a lot of stories <laughs> Uh, to tell and not enough time in which to tell it however um, so I suppose in some ways I my, my job is to is to show people different ways to read uh, a, a story an event different ways to see how they might use language so that's what I do day to day that's what I do you know seven eight lessons on the spin Monday to Friday and then I suppose when you come to to, to coaching and theming you're kind of doing the same thing so I have a, I have, I suppose I have an, an array of of ideas that I think could work. Now, I, I've definitely, I, I think I could be better at. I think I could be better at going into a group I don't know well enough, and and I think it's important to listen to what they maybe want first. So let's take your, let's take that 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 group that you were you were describing there, and you described certain things to me about what you were hoping to achieve and what they wanted. And you were saying how you were having that debate with them. That's kind of the same. Like you need to find out what what do you want? Like what is it you want to achieve? And then it might work better to find out a few things. Could you reverse engineer it from that way? Could you start backwards and go like, cool, this is what we want to do. And then let's let's find a story that fits that. And and it might actually be a, a couple of stories. Like I've I've designed themes where actually you have a broad overarching theme or concept and then sub themes that all connect to that, that all reflect that, that idea. So we're trying to be resilient or we're trying to be uh, courageous. So if courage is like your theme, find stories of courage or find stories, not even of courage, but actually a lack of courage and what that meant and how people responded to that. And that could be your theme throughout the year. If courage is what you want or whatever your club's history or your, your team's history is, like you could find it that way. Um, I do <laughs> I do have an awful habit, my girlfriend will tell me that, when I'm watching something, I regularly am trying to predict what's going to happen. Like in a movie, I'll sit there going, he's going to die, she's going to... Like it happened you once want it's, I'm the worst person ever uh, to bring to the cinema. I won't get it. I won't get invited. <laughs> but uh, there was one. There was one show a few years ago where I, I even kind of, I even picked the the angle, the camera angle this person was going to be shot at. It was just the way it was all set up. I went, he's going to turn around when he gets to the door, and someone's going to shoot him. She was like, what? And then it happened. I was like, yeah, this was all kind of set up or whatever. So I, I think with that in mind, you're sort of. You're looking at stories in, in in this way. And because of that, I'm also on the lookout for stories I think could be useful for moments. Like, what do they highlight? Now, the great thing about it is that you and I could look at the same story. We could look at Shackleton or Apollo or Senna and see lots of different things. So, for example, with that, with Senna, um, people will often refer to the uh, Asif uh, Capita movie uh, about 10 years ago uh, that came out. But in that story... Prost is kind of portrayed, Alain Prost is portrayed as the bad guy. And I think that's too simplified in some cases because Prost brought out the best in Santa, you could argue. So if you take it from that point of view, what we've started doing of late is we present a, a man of the match award, a Senna kind of mug to our man of the match. And we present an Alain Prost mug to the man of the match for the opposition. Now, 
that that might seem a little bit strange, but some like that player is going to be drinking from an Alan Prost book and they'll remember the experience they had with us. Yeah. And and it's important for us to consider how the opposition make us better and get us to our, our level that we need to. Um, so I think I'm always on the lookout for stories and that helps, but I definitely have, I'm probably guilty of maybe imposing a story uh, on a group. Now you can do that if you know the group well enough. Um, I maybe, and what's difficult with team architecture is that I'm working with groups and teams that I don't know. Uh, and so that can be really tricky to find something that works with them. And that's a bit of, you've got to kind of suss that out. Um, and it's not any, it's not a quick fix. Like the Shackleton stuff definitely took a few weeks to take hold. Um, we had all of COVID last year with training to sort of really embed some of the Senna stuff. Um, but there will be some strange looks when you're like, hey, so we're going to talk about rockets here and you're meant to be doing tackling. And people are like, what? Why are we talking about rockets? <laughs> but like, as long as everyone's clear as to why you're doing it and you give it time, I think it can work. Yeah, I love I that. So. Right, sh- sharky, mate. Well, I, I think it has worked. So don't you don't need to pray. Don't need to hope about anything like that. I think everything you said there is, like, is really cool. So I hope a lot of people kind of see this different perception and start thinking about things and, and checking you out a little bit. Like just for somebody, if they're interested, where can they find you and find your stuff before we move on to the questions? So I've got, um, I've got a, a blog, which contains most of the stuff I've written up, both the, the projects, uh, masculinity and the theming work. That's the great white Um, and then I have a website, team architecture, team, dash or sorry uh, yeah dash architecture.com will take you to some of the, the business stuff that i've done in the groups that I, i've been working with awesome mate right so i obviously know there are two questions i didn't ask you at the beginning so and <laughs> oh, then good. and then we'll get into the quick fire round so shocking just mate. like as if we rewind by 45 minutes what is your understanding <laughs> of athlete welfare mate so i thought this was an interesting a really interesting question because i've spent most of my coaching experiences over the last 18 19 years working i'd say 80 percent north of 80 percent of that is in schools so i don't tend to think of it as athlete welfare just because of who i am i like i still call even though they're like 17 18 or whatever i still refer to students often a lot as kids or boys or or whatever so i think because of that because as a teacher, I think you've got a fairly multi, if if you're coaching a group that you teach, that changes the dynamic and you've got a kind of multifaceted role, a holistic kind of role. So I I suppose you're trying to kind of bring out as many sides, you're trying to show, I suppose, as many sides. uh, I suppose you're trying to show as many sides of yourself, but also see as many sides of them uh, as possible. And so I think with with welfare, I just think that connects quite well. So I tend not to see the people I'm working with as athletes. Now, they are athletes in that instance, but I I, I suppose I've just spent so much time looking at them in a different sense. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, I said 80% there. What about the other 20? Well, working with with a men's team, maybe you can see them more in that sense, but maybe they don't behave like athletes all the time by how they conduct themselves. Maybe I don't (laughs) see them like that either. Um, But then working with professional teams, like, it, it was pretty interesting spending some time in, in professional environments and seeing how they operate. And it was weird seeing, <laughs> it was weird seeing training perform so exceptionally 
like in some cases, like it's not to say that everything was absolutely perfect, but geez, there was some stuff you're like, wow, they're like really good at the stuff that usually teams I, I see aren't. Um, and so that they were certainly athletes, but that's not to say that there's not a huge need to consider their welfare and consider, I suppose, the shaping of a whole person, be it on an emotional, I think social at a younger age group, uh, especially, but that's not to say those, those needs aren't needed uh, the older they are and a psychological as well as a physical. And yeah, so I suppose that's a that's maybe a bit of a cop-out, but I think when you're thinking of anyone's welfare, you're thinking of their capacity, I think, of what what, what they can achieve. Uh, and I think if you're working with, with young people or whoever, you're also thinking of that huge capacity of where they're going to go with their lives and what they're going to achieve. So I think you've the benefit of considering those things within that idea of welfare. So the second question that I would have asked you is like how your understanding of athlete welfare impacts what you do. But I mean, from my perspective, I might be wrong, like correct me if I'm wrong, but you've just hit the nail on the head there with with how you approach this this ideology of athlete welfare and and, and what you do. Is there anything you want to add to that? Or, or you're pretty happy with the 80, 20% and, and treating them like as kids, treating them as adults, you've got the whole, the whole bigger picture, I guess. It, it goes back to that point we said about, you know, uh, I don't see them as players. I see them as people. Um, well, the same then will be true of, of, of athletes, wouldn't it? Like, what's different between a person, a child, a kid, a teenager, an adolescent, a boy, a girl? Um, you know, you know what, what? What's the difference between their welfare and an athlete's welfare? Because actually, an athlete is all those things in, in some yeah. level, and, and there's there's lots of considerations I haven't haven't thought uh, thought of there in terms of sexual orientation or, or race or, uh, or religion or, or whatever it might be or beliefs. So there's lots of things that they might be. So I think it comes back to what they need, doesn't it? And for me, I think it shaped my coaching because you know a few years ago I started looking at sport as a vehicle to shape someone's character to, to shape people's character and I think I've also sh- tried to shape my own character as best I can like that's um like I've definitely learned huge things like I've gone on my own journey so I started I want to explore female role models in, in the game or emotional being and mental health and I needed to learn those things myself like I didn't know all those things and as a teacher sometimes you might have to or as a coach you might have to feel that you're the expert but I think it's okay to be like, hey, I'm learning a lot as well. Like I'm, I don't, and acknowledging when you, when you mess up or you don't know the answer, yeah. I think that's important too. Yeah. So just, uh, yeah, that's definitely something that I try. One of my traits is, is just being vulnerable myself. So right, I'm going to try this. It might work. It might not work. And oh, by the yeah. way, guys, I definitely made this mistake two weeks ago. I apologize, yeah, yeah. but that's all right. And I think, mm. like you said, what's, what really separates somebody from being a person like everybody are people and they just like their job's just a bit of an athlete in between. So we should just be treating yeah, everybody equally. Like, how much, how much is their identity now? And this could be another consideration is that how much of their identity is being an athlete or yeah. in, in my case is being a rugby player, mm. because actually you could be dealing with someone whose identity really is wrapped up in being a rugby player. And yeah. therefore to, to not consider that would be, would be uh, even more so detrimental probably wouldn't it exactly so if you're to see them as hey like i just see them as uh, as kids maybe as i've maybe suggested there um like (laughs) there could be there could be a 17 18 year olds who really resent the idea that i'm 
talking about the big kids. <laughs> yeah. Do you get me? So I think the language you use is important, but the consideration for the individual. So there will be some people that I work with mm. who are a certain age that I may need to understand where they are and socially what's going on and psychologically and emotionally, but also that rugby for them is, or sport is really important. So if I don't value that in them, or I don't recognize uh, what it is that they they want or need, then I, I think I'm missing that. Now, geez, that, that might sound a bit daunting. Um, and I think my advice to people would be is that, like, sorry, apologies if I've come across saying, like, I, I know all the answers. I certainly don't. <laughs> I think I'm just thinking out loud. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, there's a lot there. And you won't always get that right. But, you know, relationships, like I'm learning a lot about teams, are, like, are constantly changing and adapting. So if you even have the same group of players one season to the next, you're, you are different. They are different. It's that idea of no man steps in the same river twice because it's not yeah. the same man. It's not the same, the same river. So the idea is ultimately that we're constantly evolving and changing. So it's okay if you had, it ne- if you, if you had a relationship or a, an idea of an individual, you felt closer to being nailed early on. But you need to change that in a month's time because things have happened. Like history has taken place and you, you have, you, you have changed and they have changed. So I think that's something you're constantly sort of working on. I love that. Right. Sharky, let's delve into a quick fire round of questions and like, let's go. We'll see. We'll see what you've got. Yeah. (laughs) Let's do it. Is it possible for athletes to be happy whilst attempting to maximize performance potential? I think, I think it is. If you've aligned what being happy is to performing and also, I suppose, potential, if you've aligned those those things, then yeah, I think you can. Um, but I think quite often we can, you know, we, we, we think potential and performing, like you have the potential to, to achieve an A star. Therefore, getting an A is below your potential. But there could be a whole lot of reasons why that happened. So I think it's seeing it maybe in its widest context. So that might make you unhappy, uh, that pursuit that might have been. But actually, you might have had to overcome a hell of a lot in order to get that. So that could also be a win as well. That could be success. That could make you happy. So I think in some cases, when we look at potential, or we look at performing as the end result uh, too much. And it's not to say those things aren't important. They are. But if we focus too much on them, then I think we're... I think happiness becomes a bit more loose. So I think if we can find ways of highlighting our wins and our successes in 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 a, in a broader sense, then I think we we stand a better chance of being happy. If that makes any sense, I don't know if it does. That makes a load of sense, mate. Don't you worry about that. That makes a lot of sense. And can athletes achieve perfection, Sharky? Um, I I'm I'm wary of the idea of perfection. And I'm wary of that because it can lead to this idea of perfectionism of stripe. Now, I actually think that, that you know, the trying to be perfect can be one thing, but beating yourself up about it too much is a, is a bad thing. So I think being careful about that. So can you achieve perfection again if you define what it is? Yes, but listen, I'm I'm an English teacher who will always like as I regularly will tell students, I'm like, if an essay is, you know, full marks, as an English teacher, I could come along and say, 
you could have done it something you could have you could have changed this or this yeah. word is slightly like so i think what i often have to tell students in english is that like perfect is doesn't really exist like a, a 60 out of 60 essay or a hundred percent essay I, I you can still find flaws in it like there's still other ways to have achieved that um and in some cases sometimes when they see an essay that's full marks and then you show them another essay and it's not as good but it's still full marks you're like that essay that first essay if there were 100 marks for it we would have given it 100 but there were only 60 so we gave them all the full marks <laughs> but this one's also full marks even though it's not as good yeah. but it's still hitting all the stuff you meant to so i think that idea of perfectionism i think if you define what it is i think it's important but as coaches, as teachers, certainly as an English teacher, there's this idea of like a, a Sisyphean task, this idea of like the cast that cannot be filled. Like you'll never fully, you'll never complete it. Like you're never going to, and, and you'll always come away from a session and go, geez, I could have done this, I could have done that. And I think that's part of the journey. Like it's just reflecting on that. But you can get close to it, I think. You can, you can touch it maybe in some cases, but I don't think you'll, I don't think you'll quite do it. And I think to expect the same of players, I think, is can be harsh too. That's not to say we don't want to try our damnedest to get as close as we can. How important is talking? I think uh, this is it's an interesting one because I actually think, um, and I'm going to change it from listening to being heard. I think being heard is more important yeah, than that. talking. Because... Like I genuinely think uh, a huge proportion of issues in all of our lives would be better if people were heard. And I mean that in the sense of like everything, your, your personal life to your working life um, and, and trying to find moments by which you, you make yourself, put yourself in a space by which you are going to hear someone and make them know that they are being heard. So how might you do that? That might sound a bit ridiculous. It might involve you shutting up <laughs> for quite some time and allowing yeah. that like silence to, to step forward. It might be you asking a question uh, to provoke something and waiting for a response. Uh, it might be repeating something that they've said back to let them know that they've been heard. It might be checking in on them a week after you said something, like they said something as big or small as that might be. I think those things are important. So you, we can hear people um, a lot more, I think, than we think. So is talking important? Yes. But hearing people, what they have to say, I think is more important. And why, why do you think that? What do you think What do you think it is about hearing them rather than just being there as a recipient? So uh, to look at it from a relationship point of view and to go to this idea of connection, um, hearing allows connection to take place. Talking is a form of expression. Now, that's not to say that's not important, but I think the hearing suggests it's the end point of it, isn't it? It's the it's the beginning of the connection, the beginning of the relationship. So, I think while whilst having someone being open to talk and being willing to talk and, and allowing people to talk is important, I think acknowledging that they've been heard allows empathy to begin and that connection. I think to begin. Um, you know, you're feeling with someone, as Brené Brown would say. So I think that's why it's it's so important. It's not to say that it's, I think it's it's slightly more important because it's maybe it's the beginning of the relationship, whereas the talking is the beginning of maybe the process of that, whereas the, the relationship, I suppose, begins when people are hurt. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And Sharky, what are your three go-to fundamentals for creating a strong, beneficial and positive welfare for athletes or, or maybe students that you work with? So this kind of works. Um, this is, and teachers who listen to this will probably recognize it, the idea of the 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 me, we, you model. And, and you touched on it there. It's basically where you kind of model what you want to be done before students do it. So if that's in, in writing a the introduction or how you analyze this section of a of text or a play or something like that, you'll show them yourself, like how you do it. Then you let then you do it together with them where it's kind of a cooperative or a co-created sort of experience. And then you let them do it, see what they come up with. Now, lots of teachers and people will say, well, they end up doing a version of you and them. And then you're like, yeah, but in a week's time, They'll come up with some really cool stuff. And if you encourage them enough, they will take what you've done and they will bring it in a direction you, you never thought of. So I think if you can model it, and you mentioned this, uh, the idea of being vulnerable, I think that's important. If you want to create that those connections between people, like I, I spoke to some coaches who were trying to do something similar around mental health, but then getting really frustrated when no one opened up. <laughs> I was sort of like, I mean, like what what makes you think they will like mm. you, you don't have to like don't measure your success by how many kids come to you with with issues yeah, like yeah. measure your success by how many times you're actually just willing to create the environment for the conversation to take place like it, it, it might be you it's like who are you to think that it'll be mm. even though you're trying to encourage maybe some of those things like like there could be a uh you know, a danger in doing that as well, which is something to be wary of. So I think if you can model those things, you know, the me, we, you, I think you can do it. So if it's to model it by me, we, you, then live it and then repeat it. Cause like, you got to go back to it again and again and again, as I, you know, to go back to my first point about the longevity of or how long learning takes and slowing it down because they're not going to get it in a couple of lessons, a couple of minutes, even a couple of weeks, so you're going to be coming back and back and get back to it again, which reminds us of Sisyphus rolling that stone up a hill. <laughs> and like, without saying team architecture or Dave Sharkey, what's your run go-to source of information to help athletes realise the importance of their own welfare? I'm going to I'm going to pitch something here um, that I think helped me, and this is what I kind of went on to learn. So I'm going to I'm going to push for a shout crisis text line um, okay. for kind of two reasons. This was an organization I came across when I was looking into mental health, not because of any experiences that I had necessarily had with mental health, but if I wanted to be better at listening and uh, to help people with these, I needed to upskill myself. So it was okay that I started the process and started the conversations and then went to upskill myself. So I, I worked as a volunteer for shout crisis text line Um so I worked at basically where you're online, uh, taking your fielding conversations with individuals who are in crisis and mental health crisis. So I suggest that for two reasons. One, you could go there like I did and train as a volunteer if you wished. Um, and it's something that I haven't done the last year or so. And I, I actually really, really want to get back to because I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about mental health. I learned a lot about, about listening, about being heard, um, uh, and, you know, those things helped me hugely, both in my coaching, teaching and, uh, and personal life. But you, people could go there and athletes could go there if they needed, if they needed help in crisis, they could they could uh, text in and, and have someone hear them. 
Um, and, and that's always where I come back to the idea of being heard being more and more being more important than talking because so much of my conversations that I had with individuals who were in crisis and in a really, really bad way online um, were, were aided by someone acknowledging what they were experiencing. So it wasn't just something that was happening to them in their head, but that's something they were hearing. So Shout Crisis Text Line is a sort of weird way to sort of package both for people who want to learn more, but also people maybe who need it. I love that. That's a great source. And like one thing we've spoken about quite significantly, I think is, is like, especially when we spoke about teaching and coaching, so like life into sport, but also everything else like there's a lot of crossovers there's a lot of transfers that we can take of, of different learnings of overcoming mm. barriers challenges like so from your experience within sport or teaching what advice can you give to somebody outside of sport or a school that's confronting barriers or challenges i think um i think you got to see it in its fullest context and what i mean by that is just have a bit of perspective we can beat ourselves up because we didn't meet this deadline or this didn't happen and we really wanted this to work and it didn't. Um, but in the grander scheme of things, like you may have come a hell of a long way and you just haven't sort of taken your head out of your work or what you've been working on in the project or the, the, um, the last couple of weeks to realize, geez, actually I've, I've done, a, I've done fairly well here. And I think, you know, the advice would probably be is like, what would you say, if a mate came to you with the exact same predicament and said, this is what's happened. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Like, what would you say? We tend to be so much better with, with other people than we are with ourselves. We really, really toughen ourselves. So my advice would be is to kind of step back, see it in its fullest context, have a bit of perspective as to, okay, well, why has this happened? And, you know, what else has been going on? Um, and then if, if needs be, you know, what advice would you give if someone came to you with this exact problem, like it's almost where you're referring to, you're having a kind of a conversation with yourself, but you're separating yourself from it. You know, if someone came to you, you'd probably go like, I mean, I won't worry about it. You know, you've done this, you've done that. Like you'd see it in a different way. So those barriers are things that we're all going to face. So, and you're going to, you're going to struggle with those. So yeah, just try to be kind to yourself and be a bit more empathetic, I suppose. That's awesome. And Sharky, mate, last question. Like, I'm looking forward to this big time. Who do you nominate for a future episode of the Athlete Welfare Podcast? Um, I was I was very lucky that um, when I started looking at the idea of masculinity in in rugby cultures or rugby dress rooms, um, and I started that project three years ago, and and, and I, I haven't been coaching schoolboys for the last year or so, so I, I missed that working in that space but I, I weirdly ended up my idea was that if, if i could suddenly work in the men's game yeah. or work in the adult game and still have those conversations that would be really, really cool now i didn't do that when i came to the hac but lo and behold there was a guy at the hac who was starting to have those conversations so the guy i'd nominate is uh, is meshi uh Sheer at uh, the hac uh he runs a uh, he runs a podcast called all chats pod um which which has conversations about mental health. So himself and another guy, James Factor, uh, met at the HAC, realized after one evening, uh, after a match and having a few beers, that they had actually had their own, what they referred to as mental health hiccups. Yep. And so could find each other, had support for each other, and then set up this podcast. So 
I think he's someone who would be really, really interesting to explore because of both his own experience with mental health, but what he's now gone on to do. So uh, Meshi's someone you should definitely have on. That's awesome. Sharky, mate, like this whole conversation has lived up to the hype that I've been expecting for a long time now. <laughs> it was, I'm so happy we managed to do it and find the time. It's been an absolute honour, mate. And I just, hopefully, hopefully we can see some people listening to this pod, like starting to experience theming a little bit more and, and getting deeper connections to hopefully in turn secure some welfare and, and potentially kind of checking out the text line and the helpline if necessary. So, mate, it's been my absolute honour to have you on. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I know we, uh, we've we been trying to sort it for the last couple of weeks and, and glad we glad we kind of got round to it. We, got a, we kicked around quite a bit there, didn't we? So, uh, well, we certainly did. If, if, if none of that made sense, I apologise. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some sense in there. You just might have to wade through it. <laughs>